Hey guys, this is Rish Outfield. You're being subjected to the Rish Out cast. And I don't know if you can hear that. Can you listen for a second? That is the sound of pouring, driving rain. I uh, have pretty much done nothing today. I've sat at home. Uh, I did a little bit of audio editing. I wrote in my blog. I guess I wrote a few words today, but it was one of those where it was morning, it was still gray. It's been raining sporadically on and off. There's been some thunder. Not the kind of day where you would want to go out, unless you had to. And I didn't have to. It's a Sunday. I sat around for a while and I just started getting stir crazy. I felt like, well, I, you know, I can do something. I can go somewhere. What, where, what should I do? And I thought, well, I could go for a drive and record a Rish Outcast. And so that's what we are doing right now. I, um, I don't have a topic. There are a number of things that I could talk about uh, right now. You know, foremost on everybody's mind is obviously the coronavirus pandemic, which I've talked about. I always talk about it in my Patreon addresses, and I've talked about it in other things. There's a lot of conversation, if you want to put it that way, about race relations in our country right now, fascism, bigotry, injustice. And that's a really heavy topic to talk about. Honestly, I'm not informed enough to do a really good episode about something like that. It would be better if it were me and Big Anklovich doing the That Gets My Goat where he could talk about his point of view down in Houston and examples of, of things that we have witnessed or things that we have heard people say. It is on my mind. It's, it's on everybody's mind. Gino Moretto emailed me from New Zealand the other day, and I guess they're seeing it on the television. And we talked about it. You know, there's always a spotlight on America, unfortunately, or, or fortunately, if you like that. The things that happen here are news all over the world. And when ugly things happen, you know, everybody is watching. And honestly, that's a good thing. It's like when something terrible happens and it's caught on camera, people are right to be, to be outraged to be up in arms about it, to, you know, you, you, can't, you can't sweep it under the rug when it is on tape and everybody can see it. For too long, these things happened and nobody was around to see them happen. And so people got away with it. People lied about it. People called the people who were saying these things happened, liars, and the witnesses were not believed. Um, and so, yes, when there are bad things that happen and it gets out, even if it makes every one of us look bad or it makes our country look bad or it makes people look bad, it's important. It is motivation for change. Boy, wouldn't it be neat if there was change for the better? 
in our society instead of always more change for the worse. I mean, this is just a sliding scale. I'm not here to do anything political today. I mean, I I, I don't know what I am. I'm not a comedian, but I I think I'm more of a comedian or, you know, an entertainer than I am a person to talk about politics or to talk about society's ills or to talk about, you know, what, what I am upset about today. But it's so hard to ignore and, and people are not ignoring it. The voices that are saying ignore are quieter than the voices that are saying we will not be ignored. I had a deadline for uh, the script that I was writing. They wanted a second draft and they wanted a bunch of changes for that second draft. And you know, what I'm about to say is going to sound like a lot of complaining and I apologize for that. It's not complaining per se as just this is the nature of working for someone else, writing for someone else for pay. To a certain extent, you will have to compromise. You are writing to please somebody else and ultimately that is the goal I mean, I like to think that the goal is to write something that's as good as it can be. But that should go without saying, unless you are a hack. There are people, and you, I understand. I, there have been various times throughout my life when I've thought, oh, I could write one of those. I could write something like that. And, you know, just doing work for hire, working for a paycheck, your heart isn't in it. And so I'm not criticizing those that do that. Definitely not. I envy people that write for a living. But there are times when you have the choice of getting it done fast, getting it done so it clicks the most boxes, or getting it done so that you personally feel that it is your best work. It's not possible to do all three of those things. And so, yes, briefly, let me talk about this little project because I don't know what is going to come of it, if anything. And unfortunately, I've I've got to be a little bit vague in what I'm talking about because there's the possibility that this could be an ongoing thing, that this could be something that I write again and again, uh, uh, maybe have a relationship with these producers and if that is the case which is which is great you know if they feel like okay this guy does good work and he's reliable or fill in the blank he's cheap maybe then you don't want a podcast out there where i say oh these guys are all a-holes they're jagoffs not that they are mind you i'm just saying you don't want a podcast out there i mean it's happened before I've said something on one of my podcasts and the person in question that I'm talking about hears about it or hears the podcast and says, you know, I didn't appreciate that or, you know, that's not how I saw it at all. So I'll just be vague. It's not a big secret or anything like that. But also I just I, it would be neat if it came out really well. Yeah, I, I don't know why I'm so... Um, 
skittish about it right now. I guess my experiences in L.A. of being told, hey, you're never going to work in this town again, have, have, have made me a little bit afraid. But, but I'm also pretty thick-headed, and it seems unlikely that I will say nothing because I, I, I think that it's interesting. This is an interesting experience that I'm having right now. Hopefully you find it interesting as well. So um, a few months ago, several probably at this point, I think it was last year, I was approached with a, a new project um, going on, you know, like a, an anthology kind of thing where different stories would be produced. Uh, I was approached, hey, would you be interested in submitting a, an idea for this? And I said, sure. And uh, the producer, oh, I, I guess I've told this story before. Essentially, I said, well, hey, I would need to know the details, all the details. And what I meant by all the details was, what is it exactly that you're looking for? What is the length going to be? And uh, deadline, and, you know, just like whatever in extra instructions you might have. But what he thought I meant was, give me the bottom line dollar-wise on this. And so he gave me these numbers and it was an extraordinary amount of money. And it, it really intimidated me to the point where I considered not submitting anything. But that's, that's my mentality. I have a problem. Well, I mean, I have several, but that is, that is among them. Uh, eventually, I did talk to him. I said, hey, you know, I, I never sent you anything. Can I just talk to you on the phone? I called. And I said, you know, I'm not sure what you're looking for. Uh, I, I just, you know, I, I wrote down three possible ideas. I did. I came up with three ideas for stories that I thought would work for this format that they were, they were playing with. And I never sent them to him. I don't know if it was just, yeah, self-sabotage is what it was. And, and so, you know, he's like, well, what, what do you have in mind? What, what's going on? What, what? And I, I pitched him the story that I wrote when my dad died called The Holiday Trip featuring Captain America and Bucky. And we ran that over on the Steve. So you can check that out if you're interested or you can, I think it's out there to buy if you wanted to. Basically, it was this story that I had that I wrote after my dad's funeral about being able to go back in time to when he was a little boy and we ha might have had things in common. Yeah, it was a story where I traveled back in time to, uh, I think, like 1951 or something like that. And my dad is a child and I, I think I was also a child. Yeah, I, got, I became a child uh, and we were able to play and I knew that it was my dad, but he didn't know who I was. And we got to have that bonding moment and it, I liked the story. I don't know that it's going to change anybody's life, but I just liked it. Uh, it said a couple of things that I had been feeling at the time. And because it's a Christmas centric story, you know, it's something that you could trot out multiple times if you wanted to. Anyway, I, I, I mentioned this 
to him and he's just like, oh, well, yeah, that's, that sounds, I like that. That sounds good. He gave me some notes on it and one of them was the target audience is young people like 10, 11, 12, 13 year olds or something like that. And, and I was told, you know, think Stranger Things, think The Goonies, think, uh, it seems like there was a third thing that they, they used as an example. And so he suggested that maybe I rewrite it so that it's not a middle-aged guy who gets to go back and be 10 years old with his dad, but a 10 year old that gets to go back and he and his dad are literally the same age, which I, I like, I like that a lot. And so I wrote a, a proposal. Uh, I think I did it the next day uh, to, to show them that I was serious because I had dicked around for weeks uh, and I never sent them the proposal uh, for the three, three ideas that I had. And I'm trying to remember what the three ideas were. One of them was the mind-reading soda machine uh, over the stop-and-go that I wrote about twice now in um, Unusual Combination and Read My Mind, those two. That was one of the proposed ideas. There was one I wrote about some kids are up in the, the hills and they, they see something, or maybe they're, they're hanging around in tunnels or in caves and they discover an egg and they take it back to their home with it with them and it hatches and it turns out to be a dragon egg and then there was a third one and I, and I think it would take me a couple of minutes to remember what it was uh, it doesn't matter it didn't become a story I didn't even send it to them it was just three ideas that I was giving of ideas that would be fun for this format that all involved young people, kids. I can't remember what the third one was. He said, well, look, the financing that we had, that we thought we would have for this project, it didn't really work out for us. Our investors are not as confident in it as we thought that they would be. And so we don't have the money to do a full season of these. Okay, that's too bad, but... He said, but what we do have is enough money to do a pilot or a proof of concept of this thing. And so we would like you to write the first episode and we will produce it and then show it to our investors as, a, okay, this is what the, the rest of the series would be. Are you interested in that? And so, yeah, there, that's where we proceeded from. But anyway, to show them that I, w that I meant business, I sat down and I sent them the proposition, the proposal, sorry, my treatment the next day. And, I, and they were all very impressed by it to the point where they sent me a contract and said, yeah, we want you to write this. And to be honest, no, it was not a lot of money that they were offering, but it was money for writing. And that's nothing I can turn my nose up at. And it offered the opportunity for more work in the future. And, and as I said, connections with these guys. And I had talked to the producer about maybe acting in it as well. And so, yeah, I was happy to sign on. But there was a stretch of time 
between me sending them the, the proposal and them getting me a contract. And in that stretch of time, I sat down and I wrote a prose version of this new story, which I called The Comics Trip, which in my mind was extraordinarily clever. Comic strip. And that I wrote as a short story, and it's essentially a 10-year-old boy has a fight with his dad. He discovers that his dad had this comic book from when he was 10 years old. And when the boy touches the comic, because it's in like a plastic bag, you know, being kept safe, and his dad doesn't like comics or anything frivolous, uh, but when he touches this comic, he goes back to when his dad was that age. He's transported back to when his dad first got that comic. And the, the two, uh, I think 11-year-old and 10-year-old, they interact. They have a conversation and the boy discovers that his dad was like him once. That they had something in common, but just as the years have gone by, that has disappeared. There's a couple of, you know, man out of time gags. Uh, and then the boy goes back and back in the present, he realizes that, you know, his dad is a person and he goes downstairs and they talk. Uh, they talk about the comic books that his dad used to like when he was a kid. And there's just a, a small bond there that didn't exist before. And that's what the comic strip was. I said it's strip. The comic's trip was. Was just that, that little thing. It was not meant to be a, you know, an earth-shattering thing. Even though there's time travel involved, it was very much in keeping with my idea of bonding with my dad. And uh, one of the things that they had asked was, okay, we, we don't want the dead father aspect. This is meant for kids. And so what I did was I had the boy's grandfather was dying in 1984. And the boy has no memory of his grandfather. And that is why his dad values this comic book, is that his dad bought it for him right before he got sick and right before he passed away. So, so there, there is still carried over the aspect of the dead father, but it's one step removed in the comic strip, the first draft. And another thing that they asked is that we need some girls in this. You know, it's like, what if so there's a pretty girl? And, and so I had the dad character be really, really awkward around these pretty girls. But the son character doesn't care because as he says in the script i just figured these girls are like a hundred years old in real life and so i shouldn't be intimidated by them at all um, which should be a funny line but the way i just delivered it it's not so that was the first draft of the script that i sent them and then the pandemic happened and I ended up writing it as prose. And I thought, well, why did I do that? 
because I'm sure that they own this story because they've paid for it. And ah, oh, shoot, well, not I'm sure. The contract said that they own the story. And so I spoke to, I called the producer, the producer that had offered me the gig in the first place. And I said, this is based on a story that I wrote and I'd like to be able to still own my story and, you know, self-publish it and do all this stuff with it. But the contract says that you guys own it. And to my surprise, he said, well, oh, okay, I, I will have them amend the contract so that you own the story, but we only are, you know, using it. We're licensing it. And I was like, wow, that's, that's great. And he said, is there anything else that you would like changed from the contract? And that surprised me because, you know, I was dealing with producers and I was dealing with a lawyer. And, you know, I don't have a lot of positive experiences with those types. But I said, well, uh, yeah, I would like if you guys don't pr end up producing it, you know, if it doesn't end up happening, that I can do something with it. You know, I can do it as a, an audio drama or as a podcast or, you know, wh whatever I want to. And he's like, okay, how about if we don't produce it in a year, then all the rights re revert back to you. And I was just like, wow, I, yeah, that's, that's more than fair. That's great. Uh, and so I signed the contract and I sent it in. So then the pandemic happened and everything shut down. I didn't hear anything for a good long while. And, and that was understandable because of the state of the world. If it's a one and done sort of pandemic, it will be interesting to look back and say, this is, you know, the, the panic that there was and nobody had toilet paper, et cetera, et cetera. But if it ends up being like a continuous thing, like a lot of people are saying, where, you know, this was only the beginning, then there will be many, many more stories to tell. But yeah, just the fact that everything shut down and I wondered if this producer I had been talking to even had a job anymore. But eventually I got a list, not a list, I got an email from one of the guys that had been on the call. I never met these guys. It was all conference calls. But I got an email from him and he, here are the things that I want changed. Or here are the changes that I'd like to make and you to make. Basically, it was the stakes. They wanted the stakes to be raised a lot higher, not just that a person bonds with his father. And I understand that because the whole time travel element is so big of an idea that it does almost seem like a waste to just use it so that a guy or a kid in this case finds out that he's got something in common with his dad. Famously, Back to the Future, the greatest of all time travel movies, got its inception from this idea that Zemeckis and Gale had of what if you could meet your dad when he was in high school? Would you be friends? That was the idea that became Back to the Future. And if you watch the movie, there's only a tiny bit of that in, in the movie that's left. It has become a lot more about Marty and Doc Brown, their relationship, uh, Marty uh, and his parents, 
George and Elaine being sort of damaged in 1985, and he goes back to 55, and, uh, you know, he prevents them from first meeting, and so he's not going to live, and uh, it, it's, a, it's an action film. I mean, a lot of people say that it's a comedy. You know, there's the stuff with the Libyans and the stuff with, with Biff and the stuff with the, the bolt of lightning to get him back. I mean, all of that stuff is brilliant. All of that stuff is great. I've got a draft of Back to the Future where to get back to, to 1984, they have to drive out into the desert where there's an atomic bomb testing because that's the only way to get enough power to get him back to 1984. You know, the atomic bomb blast there. And there was a draft of Back to the Future where it was a refrigerator that Doc Brown had built a time portal inside of a refrigerator. And somebody, we can say it was Spielberg, said, you know, I really like the idea behind this, but we better not have the time travel device be a refrigerator because kids are going to think, oh, well, let's play that. Let's play this this, and we'll climb into old refrigerators. What was I talking about? So they wanted there to be higher stakes. They wanted there to be an element of danger. We had this conference call where they were talking about from my proposal to the first draft they had asked me to soften the, the relationship between the father and the son because the way I had ri- originally pitched it, it was me and my dad who did not, we did not get along at all. Uh, so I, I tried to make the dad a little bit less gruff. I think they actually asked me to make him less gruff. Uh, and I had it just be, you know, that the boy is kind of lazy, the boy is hostile toward his dad. Uh, and then he gets over that. The boy changes. And in the conference call, they wanted more excitement. They wanted more danger. They wanted higher stakes. I guess I've said that. But that's something that they said over and over again. Uh, I was originally really skittish about the comic book aspect. And I went as far as to say, well, uh, if we're trying to make it more universal, then it could be a football a football that is the time travel mechanism, the device. And the kid can go back in time and he can throw a football. He can teach his own dad how to throw a football. And his dad will be like, wow, where did you learn to make it spiral like that? And the kid would say, my dad taught me that. And I could see that speaking to people on a level that comic books do not speak to the masses. You know what I'm saying? That would be easy to make that change. I don't care about sports. I don't care about football. But I know that a lot of people do, and and it would work. But they had all, the producers had all said that they liked the aspect. They like that it's Spider-Man that they bond over. They they talk about Spider-Man, the specific comic book One of them actually grew up around that era and he had memories from 1984 comic books. And so they wanted me to keep that. Uh, But in our conference call, I I, I sort of got the impression that everything else was, they they, they were willing to jettison. They, They didn't feel like 
it was where they wanted it to be. So they tossed out a couple of suggestions and um, at one point, you know, I, I, I wasn't particularly frustrated, but I was just like, okay, hey, before we continue, was there anything uh, in the first draft that you did like that you want me to keep? And immediately all three of them were just like, whoa, 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 hey, oh, oh, hey, oh, 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 no, no, we, we liked lots of that stuff. Don't get me, and I, it made me wonder if I've already presented myself as a very thin-skinned person, and that's too bad, because that does me a disservice. They wanted me just to heighten the tension and the excitement and make it more of an action script, and that for there to be consequences more significant than just a boy finds out that his, he and his dad once liked the same thing, which is exactly the origin of the very, very first version of this story. And so I sat down and I came up with a way to incorporate some of these changes that they had requested while at the same time keeping all of the stuff that I had liked, that I had written, such as the awkward encounter with the girls, a lot of the talk, that it's still a comic book that takes them back in time. Uh, I, I was trying to have the best of both worlds. I was trying to please myself and please them. I'd been given the deadline of Wednesday, and I talked to that producer on Wednesday, and I said, look, I'm not confident in it right now, but if it absolutely has to be handed in today, I can have it done today. I was hoping that he'd say, you know, there's still a pandemic on. We don't, there's no ticking clock. Take a few more days. And he didn't say that, but he did say, well, I would rather it be a couple of days late and it be, you know, your best work than it be in today but not as good as it could be. And that makes sense to me as well. And so he gave me until Friday. And what I did was I took Thursday and I incorporated all of the changes into the script. And then on Friday, I went to the park with the script as I had it. And I went through it line by line, changing this line here, losing this bit here. And it ended up being much longer than the first draft, mostly by virtue of me wanting to keep all the things that I liked from the first draft, but also giving them the things that they wanted. There were a couple of moments where I was like, shoot, how am I going to fix this? This is a story problem. Um, are they going to pick up on this? Are they going to realize that this is a problem? And because of my conversation with the producer where, where he had said, I would rather it be a couple of days late and be your best work, I forced myself to figure out solutions to these problems, these story problems. And, and that is an interesting thing that writers can do. And it's not something that I do all the time. But sometimes you'll paint yourself into a corner and you can just like abandon, you can just like, okay, you know, I'm going to throw away some of this writing and go back to where before I painted myself into a corner. That's one solution. Another solution, one that I tend to favor, is just abandon the project altogether. 
I painted myself into a corner. All right, that's it. It's done. Who cares about the 20 hours that I've wasted on it? Uh, But the third possibility, the third option is to try and think yourself out of this corner that you have painted yourself into. And that is harder than the, uh, you know, the other two things. And that's what I did on this. And I feel like the second draft was better than the first draft. And it should please them because it pleases me. And so I sent it in on Friday, the same day that I went and read through it at the park. And I, I, I have gotten some notes back on it and it's too long. And I, I should have foreseen that because I knew what I was doing was adding to it and adding and adding and adding and new lines here and new scenes here and a new character here and not cutting. Except, you know, I cut the very beginning the fight that the boy has with his dad is gone now and their like their makeup session at the end is gone because that's not what the story is about anymore now it's a more action centric there's an actual physical danger that the boy is able to save his father from and so in the first scene i have the dad establish that when he was a kid he got hurt really badly and so That's the crux of this second draft, is the boy preventing this from happening to his dad. And so when I heard that it was too long, I was just like, yeah, I knew it was true. But it's too long. It's so too long that there is no way to cut it down to be the length that they want it without losing major portions of it. Um, and I guess I'm still working on this. I, I, I kind of wanted to just give them a second draft and be like, okay, it's your problem now. Cause that was a conversation that I had on that Wednesday when I was saying, I'm not going to get it done in time. I was saying, you know, that maybe we're going to have to have a narrator who is explaining context and explaining things. And he's like, no, 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 we don't want a narrator. And I was just like, well, I don't know how to convey things uh, in a natural way. I've already got characters talking to themselves, which is something that I got out of comic books. And I don't know how well that will work, but, but you have to figure out a way to convey what's going on. And so the producer told me, well, what we'd like to do is, do, is sit down and do a table read of your script and that way we can see how long it ends up being then you know we can go from there to cut it down and I told him look it is more than double the length that you want it at right now you can do a table read but it's not going to tell you anything that I'm not telling you right now we have to cut it by more than half to get it to the length that you want it. And my suggestion was just let it be long. It's a pilot. We've all heard of, a, a, you know, a special hour-long pilot or, or, you know, like Star Trek, The Next Generation and, and DS9 and I think Voyager and maybe Enterprise all had two-hour pilots, you know, feature-length pilots to put everything in place. And it was like, okay, maybe we can do that. 
And he's just like, uh, and I said, okay, well, maybe it can be a cliffhanger, two-part episode. Just anything to keep me from having to cut it all down to nothing. Because when you're cutting it more than in half, you've got to lose not just the the dross. Is that the word I was looking for? I think it is. Not just the dross, but you're going to have to lose meat. You're going to have to lose bone. You're going to have to lose marrow to cut it more than in half. And so uh, we'll see what, what goes on on that. I don't know why I'm still sitting here talking to you. This isn't interesting to you, is it? The thing with writing for money versus just writing what you want to do, writing for pleasure, is, uh, as I said, you have other people that you need to please rather than yourself. And that can be difficult um, because of compromise. You have to make compromises and... You know, the greatest anthology show of all time was The Twilight Zone. And I do wonder how Serling managed that. If he just had a hundred short story ideas, uh, and then once he had this forum to put them on, he started developing them into scripts, he started writing these... I mean, because Serling, his output is amazing on Twilight Zone. More than half of the episodes are written by him. And, you know, they're not all perfect, but I know that, you know, he, he would scour the pulp magazines. He would have people pitch to him stories that would work on his show. And that's great. Of course, you know, he would funnel them all through his particular vision for the show. If I had a show like that, um, I don't know. I don't know how you'd go about it. It may well be like the three ideas that I wrote. Uh, for possible episodes and I just, you know, pitch that to somebody and they say, oh, well, yeah, that sounds really good. I'm trying to think of what that third one was. You you pitch the three ideas to somebody and they go, uh, yeah, I like the second one a lot. And so that's the one that you sit down and write. Uh, again, these have dollar amounts attached to them. There is a reason to sit down and write it. Whereas in my usual experience, it's all just, you know, what I can motivate myself to write, what catches my interest well enough that I can get to the end. Um, These dead and breakfast stories that I've been writing were perfect for that. Little installments, little episodic things that happen at the bed and breakfast. And unfortunately, I bit off more than I can chew with this last one, which has become a novel. And I feel like it would have worked better because there's three or four like subplots, three or four things that are going on in the story. And each one of those could have been its own short story. I, I wished that that's how it had been. You know, basically it's 
there's a new malevolent ghost that shows up at the, the bed and breakfast. And what is its story? It has some kind of connection with the place. Two, Mason becomes involved with this girl, Rowan. And the people around him say, you should not become involved with her. Uh, and then three, somebody has stayed there on the night when they encountered a ghost and told their story and uploaded it to YouTube. And that's how the very first story began with a guy watching that video. But I just thought, okay, it will be interesting to see from the insider's point of view what is done. Because in True Ghost Encounter, that YouTube video is taken down. It was always, you know, in my, in the back of my mind that, you know, Mrs. Bice makes sure that thing is taken down. How does she do it? But I guess you're also asking, why does she do it? Yeah, I just wish I had written them as short stories, because all three, I think, would be done by now, and I'd probably be on to another one. But all right. Oh, uh, uh, well. Archaeology is not an exact science. It does not adhere to time schedules. Uh, I've told you before about what Big Anklevich has gleaned from his reading from Dean Wesley Smith. That, that Smith says, when you write a story for self-publishing, because that's the thing... Uh, that his advice is usually for is self-publishing, is putting things out there or, you know, sending them out to magazines or podcasts or contests is instead of writing a draft and then rewriting and then rewriting and doing another draft and another draft, you should write a draft. Go over it once to pick out all of the typos or anything that, you know, is significantly wrong with it, and then put it out there. Submit it or self-publish it, and then move on to the next project, the next story. And his idea, and I, I feel like maybe I am the greatest missionary of this because I repeat it so much. Heaven knows Big Anklevich doesn't repeat this on his show as often as I do on mine, but he says, if there are problems with it, if there are weaknesses that you perceive in it, instead of spending the time to fix those, apply them to the next story that you write. Write something that doesn't have that weakness or that problem. You've heard me say before that the time that it takes you to rewrite your story, you know, fixing all these problems or getting it perfect or whatever, you could have written another story. I guess usually what I am saying is uh, if you have to write it for a certain length, the time that it takes to pare it down to that length, you could have written another story. And so I guess that's what I'm thinking about is they wanted a an action time travel story. And a part of me says... I wish that they had just said, hey, can you write a second story that is an action-oriented one? Because it would have been far shorter than the second draft was, and it could have been a, a wholly different episode, a second episode. I do wonder, when I was talking about Twilight Zone, how many drafts did Serling go through? 
on a script of his. You know, he was the executive producer of Twilight Zone, but there was a producer like Buck Houghton on, on many of the episodes. He had the network that he had to please. He had the sponsors that he had to not offend, if not please. The censors were always there. How many drafts did Serling go through on each one of his scripts? And did the drafts, did, the, did each subsequent rewrite improve the story or not? And I, I really don't know. I, I guess we would have to see. Um, I, I do have a pretty good point of reference, though. I bought these really wonderful Star Trek making of books that went into detail on the original series, especially from the writing perspective. And it goes into and examines the original scripts that came in. And then Roddenberry would take each one of those scripts and he would re he would rewrite them. And he burned a lot of bridges in doing so because these were all professional writers that he had courted saying, you know, this is going to be a writer's show. This is going to be a serious science fiction show. This is going to be the, the you know, the show where the writer is king. And then he went and he rewrote their scripts. And, and some of them were really upset by that, particularly Harlan Ellison who I think on still nights, you can go out into your front porch and you can still hear Harlan Ellison bitching about his work on Star Trek. Do you hear that? Well, the engine of my car is kind of roaring. But if, I, if it weren't running, you could hear it. Anyhow, Roddenberry's justification for this was that... There wasn't time on a television series to say, this is the changes that I need each one of you to make. I need you to bring it back to me, you know, by Friday with all these changes. Um, he had to do it himself. And he wanted the episodes to be consistent. He wanted the characters' voices to be consistent. So he filtered them through himself. And I totally understand that. Some of the friendships that he lost over this, you know, it's, it's too bad. Roddenberry had an ego, though, so he may not have handled this as, as he could have. But also, though, the interesting thing is that book looks at the changes that Roddenberry made, and some of them are not for the better. That to me was interesting, that Roddenberry would take like a very interesting idea or character and he would sort of weaken it in his rewrite. But ultimately, the final product stands the test of time. And, you know, some of those episodes are excellent despite any changes that Roddenberry made to the script. As far as my script goes, and it's still called The Comics Trip, 
I like the second draft more than I like the first draft. But it has lost some of the reason that it was written. Uh, the theme definitely is... I'm not going to say it's weakened, but the theme has changed to something else. And then, yeah, eventually I guess there's going to be a third draft where I have to cut out all of the stuff so that we can get it in on time. And part of me says, well, I don't want to do that. One of them can do that. I just want to get my check and go. But a, a bigger part of me, a smarter part of me says, no, this is still your project. It's still your story with your characters and your dialogue. If anybody is going to cut it down to size, it needs to be you. And don't burn your bridges. Work with these guys again. Show them that you are malleable. You are a team player. We'll see. We'll see what happens on this. I mean, it may be that it never goes to series. In which case, this table read that they're talking about doing will be my only experience of seeing it done. I did a couple of table reads when I was in college, and they were joyous. And when I say I did a couple of table reads, I mean table reads of my scripts, where you get a bunch of actors together and they all read their part. Usually, you can hear in the dialogue whether things need to be changed, you know, a line that didn't get a laugh in the room, uh, something that was awkward, something that was confusing. Um, so that will be an interesting experience if that ends up happening. I, I, it has all been an interesting experience. Anything that is new can be interesting. And, you know, I did an episode just in May called Interesting Times. May you live in interesting times. I don't know. I don't know! We'll see, we'll see where it goes. This has been a fairly short episode. I'm not going to apologize for that. I'll try and make up for it by throwing in some extra junk. I, I, I still write every single day, and that's a good thing. If I could, there, there was somebody, back when we would do the Dune Steve episodes, there was one of our listeners or our, one of the people that sold us stories who would write a story a week, and that seemed so amazing to me. Because think about that. Think about having 50 stories that you wrote in a year. If I could write half that, if I could write 25 stories in a year, it would be the most productive I'd ever been. And it would also be, think about that, you know, the possibility for 25 episodes of The Rich Outcast presenting a story. I don't know, that's pretty amazing, that idea. And because I'm writing every single day, there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to write a story a week. I mean, I don't. But it's also not a full-time thing. I just sit down and force myself to write every day, sometimes once or twice, sometimes once, sometimes more than once in a day. Yeah, it would be great to get some more stories out there. 
uh, for four more episodes. I hope you like them. Yeah, I hope you'll join me for the next Wish Outcast, uh, which will probably be a story presentation. So, um, thanks for listening. And uh, hang in there. Don't give up. I, I, I know as well as anybody how tempting it is to just throw in the towel, to just give up, to curl in a, a ball and say, no, I'm done. Don't do it. Take a, a little break. Take a little rest and then get up and try again. Do as I say, not as I do. Good night. Logo by the talented and generous Gino Moretto. Well, well, we've reached the end of another nigh unto interminable episode of the Rish Outcast. He has an ever-dwindling Patreon support fund that helps motivate him to put out episodes. You can donate per episode by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash Rish Outfield. I am here to remind you that The Outcast is produced under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Download the file, listen to it, copy it, share it, and bring it up as a cautionary tale to frighten young ones into minding their manners. But do not change the files, or attempt to sell them, for the worm will turn on you. And oh, that worm, how it hungers. You, you're not Stacy. It's funny, all the quotation marks are backwards. I don't really know how that happens. Franklin, I said. Scotty. Sorry, uh, quotation marks are backwards. He was looking toward the kitchen and seemed to be. Sorry, quotation marks are backwards. He let it go. So you guys come very far. Sorry, quotation marks are backwards. Scotty, he's Frank. Sorry, the uh, quotation marks are backwards. <laughs> Jeez, I gotta change every friggin' one. Gosh, come on. Maybe I should wait. Quotation marks are backwards. If Marie was embarrassed by that, the quotation marks are backwards. Sorry, quotation marks are backwards. The theme song to The Twilight Zone was echoing loudly in the back of my head. Sorry, the um, quotation marks are backwards. A disaster, Jillian threw in. Sorry, the uh, quotation marks are backwards. Some call it dirty blonde, maybe a honeysuckle. Sorry, the quotation marks are backwards. All of you? Shoot, the quotation marks are backwards. The food's getting cold. Let's all... Sorry, the quotation marks are backwards. Jillian, or only pretending to be her? Shoot, um, uh, quotation marks are backwards. Give me a second. We don't like that word, Scotty. Sorry, the damned quotation marks are backwards. So... It's a, a week later, 
and we had the table read that I talked about in this episode. And so I'm just going to talk briefly about that here, let you know how it went. And uh, yeah, more bang for your buck, right guys? So the, the table read was something that they really wanted me on board for, and I didn't really understand why. I do understand now. I had kind of hoped that they would have just me in charge of it because, well, because of ego, I guess. But they didn't. They, but they did let me participate. I got to voice one of the characters. I was mostly just silent. They did ask if I wanted to say anything at the beginning before they started the read-through. And I just said, you know, I'll just be silent. I'll, I'll, I'll hang back. But ask me if something is unclear. You need some kind of direction. Otherwise, I'll just be quiet. It, it had been a long time since I had been at a table read for something that I had written. Uh, if you're a young person, it had been your whole lifetime. <laughs> That's not true. When I lived in L.A., we would do stuff like that. Uh, but you could say that whenever we would do like a live reading on the Steve, that was like a table read. Never mind then. Forget it. I do this stuff all the time. This was not special. So the two reasons they were doing the read-through was one, they needed to know how long it would be. So they had a timer going to see how long it took. And in the defense of one of the producers, of the, main, the producer that I always deal with, he said, you know, we might consider making this a two-parter. We might consider making this a double-length episode because it's so long. But the other guys weren't really hip to that. So it's all right. I appreciate that he tried. Um, the other reason they were doing the read-through is just because, and I didn't know this until the meeting after the read-through, but they're really close to going forward with this. I didn't realize they had a deadline or anything like that, but they had all these actors who were willing to do the, the read-through. And as soon as the read-through was done, all of them hung up. It was a Zoom call, right? And I didn't really participate in it because I don't have Zoom. Wonderful, isn't it? I could have borrowed like my sister's phone or I think my mom has, I know my mom has Zoom. Could have borrowed my mom's phone. I, it just didn't occur to me because I had asked on Friday, is it a telephone call or is it a, is it a conference call or is it a Zoom call? And it wasn't until Tuesday morning at like 6 a.m. that I got a text, uh, an email back saying, yeah, it's a Zoom call. But I was told that you can just call in on a phone and I guess I didn't get to see everybody and there was just a black screen for me. But, oh well, that's, that's life. Somehow Skype has become irrelevant. I don't know when or why. But we went through the read-through and it went fine. There were a couple of errors in the script where I had left a word out, you know what I mean, or written a sentence that didn't make sense, and nobody called me on it. I wonder if they even noticed, although they should have because they read it the way it was supposed to be rather than the way it was written. There were a couple of lines that got laughs. It surprised me how fast the read-through went because, as I had said I felt like it was more than double the length that 
they wanted it to be. And it, that didn't end up being the case. It was a little bit too long. And part of that is because they had a guy reading all the stage direction. You know what I mean? The actions, the mise-en-scene is what we call it, we pretentious screenwriters. They had somebody reading all that and that takes time. But, you know, in a finished product, nobody is reading that. That's just instantaneous, right? You know, like, like he rustles the comic book. You know, that, that is a stage direction so that you know that a sound effect is needed and that you know what the main character is doing. But he rustles the comic book is uh, this. Not even one second. And so without all of the stage directions, it is long, but not nearly as long as I was worried that it was going to be. And then there were a couple of moments from the re revision, what we were reading was the second draft, that I felt like worked just fine. And I thought, wow, this is pretty good. And when the actors all hung up and it was just me and the producers, they all had very nice things to say. One of them had a plot hole that he pointed out, and it was basically that I had said that it was going to rain that night, but it takes place in December, and the guy said, well, wouldn't it snow instead of rain? And I thought, oh, okay, that's, that's, that's a good point. And so, I mean, that's an easy fix. Just change the word snow to rain, or the opposite of that. But that was it. They were all impressed by how well it went. Nobody more so than me. And here's the part where I come off as maybe a bit of a prat when I say I had forgotten just how good a screenwriter I am because I have been writing prose for so long, short stories and now novels, and I'm never really, really confident on those. You know, I'm always worried that somebody's going to say, you know, that wasn't good. What, what are you doing, man? Uh, and it, it, it kind of goes along with my singing. I do the singing every single week. And I think I'm pretty good, but I'm not, you know, I'm always worried somebody's going to be like, would you stop with the singing? This is torture. Why do you keep doing this? I'm always worried that somebody will say something like that about both my singing and my, my writing, my short stories and all that. But I never had that fear with screenwriting because it always felt like that's what I was born to do. And I could be put in a room with anybody and say, yeah, oh, if we're writing scripts, I can hold my own. The two things that I do better than anybody else. And, and the other is, is uh, Sean Connery impression. Even though I, I'm not even sure that fake Sean Connery is a Sean Connery impression anymore, so much as he is a character that I just flip a switch in my head and suddenly here he is. Here's fake Sean Connery again. And I don't even have to think about it. I'm not doing an impression anymore. It is a character that's ingrained in my subconscious. But anyhow, I was just like, oh yeah, I used to want to be a professional screenwriter because I was so good at it. Weird, how have I forgotten that? And I, how I have forgotten was 
twofold. A, I moved to Los Angeles and nobody gave a crap about the stuff that I was writing, which, you know, ground me down. It is a city and it's probably not as bad as New York, but it is, it's bad. But it's a city that is, one of its raisons d'etre is to grind people down, to separate the wheat from the chaff and to say, you know, you guys are not good enough, get out. And so that happened. And then the other thing that happened is I just stopped writing scripts. There was no point in writing scripts. I started writing short stories. And I'm pretty good, I think. I mean, there are times when I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a good writer. And then there are other times when I'm like, ah. Anyway, I was reminded that I was a really, really good screenwriter. And I've missed that feeling. Just We used to do this writer's group in L.A. And uh, it started right when I first moved there. A couple of the guys that I had graduated with started it. And... I would join them and we would, you know, people would share their scripts or their segments of their scripts. You would assign the characters out. We would read through them. We would give constructive criticism. And that would be it. The time would invariably run out and it would be time to go suffer through the LA traffic until uh, we met again two weeks from then. And eventually all of those guys that I had gone to school with stopped coming. They all... Well, they probably had careers. One of them, you know, definitely just started writing professionally. And why would you do a writer's group anymore if you were uh, a professional script writer? But I kept going to the point where it was all new people and me. And I was the only one who remembered when it was all of us who had gone to school together. That was so weird. But, you know, eventually I moved away. I stopped going. And for a while there, I would still get the emails sent to me saying, you know, we're meeting on Tuesday. Who has something to share? But, you know, after a year or so, just I was removed from their list. And uh, it would be interesting to know if, you know, there any remnant of that, that writer's group still continues. I, I doubt it. It's been years and years now. doesn't feel like it, but it has been. Anyway, we had this little meeting afterward, and it was, it was good. They all had nice things to say. They wanted it cut down. One of them said cut two pages from it. One of them said, you're going to need to cut more than that. One of them said to cut the ending, because I have sort of an ending and then a coda. And somebody said to just cut the coda, and that right there would eliminate some of the excess weight. But I liked the coda, and so I asked them, I said, okay, well, how many people are here in the room because I don't see you? And they said four. And I said, okay, of you four, how many of you think that I should cut the coda? And only one said that I should cut it. One of the producers said, well, look, leave it in, and we can have it as an option. You know, we don't have to worry about it until production or until post-production if we want to decide then whether it's too long or whether it works without it. Because a couple of them felt like it worked really well. I did. Because it's just like a, it, it, the story ends and then you get a little button on the story to make you feel good. I don't know if that makes sense. But that's what a coda is for, Right. So they said, okay, well, listen, we're going to go ahead on this. We're going to ask you for another revision 
but it's not going to take much work. Just, you know, tighten it, eliminate a couple of the extraneous lines of dialogue. Oh, you know, somebody else did find another plot hole. He was like, you know, I think you can explain away the plot hole by writing in this, uh, you know, another line of dialogue that's like this. But I thought I would just eliminate the line that he had a problem with because A, it shortens it. And then, you know, if, if he thought there was a plot hole, then I don't need that line. But anyhow, they said, you know, how fast can you get this revision done? And I said, well, when do you need it by? And the head producer, the so the three producers I was talking to were the, the head of development for that network. The, I don't remember what his title is. It's like chief executive of scripted content or some shite like that, which means, you know, there's somebody that's in charge of sports. There's somebody that's in charge of reality, I guess. And then there's somebody that's in charge of the stuff that needs scripts. And then the producer of that particular show. Anyway, I said, okay, well, when do you need it by? And uh, one of them said, uh, how about Friday? And I was just like, this Friday? Because this, by this point, it's Tuesday afternoon at about 4 p.m. And to be honest, I could have done it by Friday, no problem. But I just said, um, this Friday? Uh, then the head of production guy, he said, well, okay, how about Monday? Because Monday... Uh, we're having a meeting in the morning to talk about casting. And uh, it would be great if we had that revised script by then. And I was just like, oh my gosh, they're, they're already casting next week. So this is happening. Uh, and they didn't ask me anything about it. They didn't say, would you like to have a part? Which, you know, I had hoped, which was something that I had been told months ago you know, they say, well, you're talent too. So it would be really cool if we could use you in that capacity. But maybe that's just something people say. Um, I'm, I'm a voice guy. So, you know, they could call me in the day before the final edit is due and I could work that way. And so they said Monday. And so what I was going to do yesterday was I was going to run over to the library, open up the file in Word and just go through it from beginning to end Paring things down, uh, there was one change I was going to make. Somebody had made a suggestion, and actually it was a mistaken suggestion. He had thought that he had misunderstood something from the first draft, and he said it when we had our conference call, and I was just like, no, that, that's not what happened. And then in the second draft, that scene had been rewritten, and so he had been, he said, oh, you know, I... I liked this element from the first draft that's not in the second draft, but it was never in the first draft. But he said that he missed it. And suddenly it occurred to me that I could have my cake and let him eat it <laughs> if I changed just like two or three lines of dialogue so that the revised version is what he liked, what he thought was in the first draft. That's stupid. It's, I know it's, it's nebulous what I'm saying, but without you having read it, it's pointless. I'm, I'm still talking and I know I've been going on too long, but hey, free content for you guys. Uh, it's just an update. It, it went really well. I didn't end up going to the library and so I will have to do that either Friday or Saturday.
to get this done in time. But it really won't be that much work, I don't think. The, the notes that I got on the first draft going into the second draft were significant. I talked about them in this episode. They wanted action rather than drama. And that necessitated that I change a lot of it. And, and I made it work. And so now they just want it shorter. And, and actually, that is easy. The problem is I can't really count it as writing. I mean, it is definitely writing. But what do I do? Just subtract the third draft word count from the second draft and say that's how many words that I wrote? Because that's not going to be accurate for the amount of work that it is. You know, rewriting a paragraph so that it is one sentence does eliminate 23 words, but it, it's not the same as writing 23 words, you know. Anyway, I don't know why I'm still telling you this. I just feel like it went really, really well, and I will uh, update you at some point along the, the road to tell you how things are going with this project. And it, it, like I said, this is a pilot, sort of. You know, it's a proof of concept is how they pitched it to, or how they described it to me. But if it goes to series, I think I will definitely have another chance to pitch a script or a story or to write another episode. And hopefully I have shown them that I'm good to work with uh, and talented. And it would just be great to start getting paychecks doing this thing. And I'll let you know. So uh, go your way. Again, thanks for supporting me on Patreon. I, I like to hear from you if you want to give me comments and uh, suggestions too. That, that, that sort of stuff is fine. If there are things that I refer to in my episodes that you're curious about, that you'd like me to go into more detail on or to talk about, let me know because I'm always needing more content, right? I'm trying to put one of these out every week and I don't ever manage, but, but it would be nice. Good night. The episode was done and saved, but I had, so, but this is how much I didn't want to write. <laughs> so you're going to do it a third time? Yes. If you don't want to see me. Yeah. And why would you? Did a full 180. Crazy. Thinking about the way I was. Did the heartbreak change me? <laughs> Maybe. But look at where I ended up. I'm all good already, so moved on is scary. I'm not where you left me at all. So, if you don't wanna see me dancing with somebody, If you wanna believe that anything could stop me Don't show up, don't come out Don't start caring about me now Walk away, you know how Don't start caring about me now Aren't you the guy who tried to Hurt me with the word goodbye Though it took some time to survive you I'm better on the other side 
I'm all good already, the show moved on, it's scary, I'm not where you left me at all. So, if you don't want to see me dancing with somebody, hit it! If you want to believe that anything could stop, stop me, don't, 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 don't show up, don't, don't come out. out. Don't start caring about me now. Walk away. You know how. Don't start caring about me now. Oh, oh, don't, don't come, come out. Out, out, out. out. Don't, don't show up. Up, up, don't start now. now. Oh, up, up, don't come out. Out, out, I'm not where you left me at all. So. If you don't want to see me dancing with somebody If you want to believe that anything could stop me Don't show up, don't show up, don't come out Don't come out, don't start caring about me now Walk away, you know how, don't start caring about me now. So up, up, don't, don't come out, 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 out don't show up, 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 up walk, walk away, walk away. So up, up, don't come out, 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 don't, don't show up, 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 walk away, walk away. Oh, <laughs> I had a Dua Lipa once. Topical cream took care of it right away.